Okay, this is uh, lesson number four, and we are in the tabernacle plan. And this comes under the heading of the five foundations that God gave to Israel when he brought them out of Egyptian bondage. And I will tell you that uh, this lesson uh, tonight will be the first uh, place that we begin to cover the menorah, which stands for the seven lamped uh, lampstand, the menorah. Uh, I think you're going to find it pretty interesting and intriguing. We won't go real deep with it tonight. We'll just wait a little bit. But uh, next time we have this class, we will be in waters to swim in. We do not have service next Wednesday night due to Thanksgiving. Everything else remains the same. Okay, so here we are. We are looking at uh, this picture of the holy place, the veil separating the holy of holies from the holy place. We see the table of shoe bread, which we covered last week. We see then on the southern wall, the menorah, the seven-lamped uh, candelabra. And then, of course, we see the altar of incense. And if you'll remember correctly, God is giving us, instructing us from the inside out. He started with himself, and then his mercy is reaching out to us. The first item of furnishings that he gave unto us, of course, was the, all, uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. And then next, he covered with us the table of shewbread. And now he is going to give unto us uh, the uh, seven lamp menorah and we see where it seems like we have skipped the altar of incense and last week we saw where even in the writer of Hebrews he skips it there's a mystery about that it's actually not till the 14th item that God gives us description on this item that sets closer to the veil of separation between the holy place and the holy of holies so uh, in Galatians chapter 3 as we study the tabernacle and it will be a very lengthy study I apologize but in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith. And so what we're looking at is we're looking at all of the teachings of God, and they ultimately point us to the Mashiach, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. So the thing that I love about typology, which we expressed what that meant in lesson one in Tabernacles, is that it allows us to set our our understanding of scripture on the pattern and find out uh, if we are going the right direction and if we have a correct understanding. It also keeps any teaching that will not lay on the pattern. You understand that it has not arrived at truth yet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11, now all these things happen unto them for an example and they are written for our admonition upon the ends of the world upon whom the ends of the world have come. So we see all the Old Testament stories that um, the apostles tell us that they were written for examples for us to learn by. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46, we are then told that that which is spiritual, howbeit was not first, but that which is natural, and then that is spiritual. So we have seen Adam, of course, being the first man, Jesus being the spiritual man, the second man. God only ever made two men. Everyone else was procreated. And so we see now where we're looking at the tabernacle, which is a type and a shadow of God coming in flesh, his Shekinah living behind a veil of flesh. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 2, we see where it is written, it is the glory of God to hide a thing, and honor of kings to search out a matter. And of course, you're a royal priesthood. Uh, we are a nation of kings and priests, and so our job is to search out what God has concealed in his word. If you will remember the uh, disciples of the Lord, says, why do you speak to us in parables? He says, unto you it was given to understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. 
And so it is not like people assume that you can just sit down and read the Bible and understand it. Uh, it doesn't work that way. It has, it has hidden nuances, hidden phrases. It's written in such a way that you will not understand it uh, without getting to know the author, I guess I should say. So we see now where this seven-lamp menorah uh, that we're getting ready to investigate, of course, the priest's duties to keep it lit. We're going to see where the lamp is designed because it is the light for the tabernacle itself. We're going to see that it is the first item seen when you enter the tabernacle. And it's a reminder, of course, that God is light. And then what we are looking at is we are looking at a diagram of the tabernacle itself. And, of course, we have the Holy of Holies for the Ark of the Covenant set, which is the first item of furnishings that he gave us a description. Then we have the veil, and then we have the holy place. And we see where here, of course, is the table of shewbread, the altar of incense, and now we're getting ready to look at this golden lampstand. And in Exodus chapter 25 is where we're going to find the description of this lampstand. We're going to find out that it's made of a talent of gold. It's 125 pounds, gold at $1,350 roughly an ounce. Comes to about $2,600,000, $2,700,000. If you'd like to write that check, uh, they have the menorah built right now, the wax mold. I took a picture last time I was in Israel. You'll see it here in a moment. And that's how much it's going to cost to uh, make this, not to mention the labor that will go into it. That's just the raw refined material. And so, uh, at, at, there we go, at $13.50 an ounce, valued at $2,700,000. Uh, it has a central shaft with six branches, three on each side, making it a seven-branch lampstand. And if you are reading or studying your Bible, and you're just reading it historically, it's pretty exciting, I know. But whenever you begin to look at it in a spiritual vein, uh, I mean, immediately we should be clicking to what's going on here. It has a central shaft with six branches. What pops into your mind when everything speaks of Messiah? I am the vine, you are the branches, and each branch has knobs, flat, uh, knobs flowers, and almond-shaped bowls to hold pure olive oil. We will not get into the oil uh, here. Uh, it's interesting, the word oil. First place it's used in the, second place it's used in the Bible is in connection with this lamp. First place it's used in the Bible is whenever Yaakov anoints the pillar that he sleeps on. And for those of you who uh, may not have been in our class Sunday morning, uh, in Judaism the soul is seen, it's not like American thought, the soul is seen as right here. And so in Judaism, whenever Jacob is running from Esau and he lays his head on the stone, actually uh, what the Midrash or what the Jewish sages teach is that remember that uh, Jacob when he flees he is lighting on the same spot that Abraham builded the altar where Isaac is offered. And so he actually took one of the stones from the altar that Isaac is offered. He lays his head on it. And this is the first place we see the word oil used. And then he anoints the pillar. And uh, then he says this is none other but the house of God. And of course later this is the foundation area of the temple itself. So everything is hidden in the word. That that has been shall be. There's no new thing under the sun. Once you get turned on to this concept, the Bible gets very exciting as you can begin to go back to the future. Uh, so what we're looking at now is Exodus 25. I'll read it very hurriedly. We're going to read the description of this item of furnishing, the only light in the temple itself or the tabernacle at this time. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. Now immediately we see all this beaten work stuff. 
And uh, a couple of things you'll notice. Number one, it represents Messiah. He was beaten. And I won't go there in this lesson, but the other thing you're going to notice is that obviously the only thing that the tabernacle could be built out of is natural substances. And Christ, who was deity, became a natural man. Uh, you will also notice as you look at the things of God and all of creation as it's supposed to speak and teach us, gold in its raw form is totally useless, as far as I know. And so it must be refined. It must be worked. And so, you know, I can just keep going with this. Uh, you can see the typology. This is a picture of you and I. We are refined by the fire and the fiery trial of our faith. God is molding us. So we see where everything in the Bible speaks of the Mashiach, the Messiah. But then also it is because we are his sons. Uh, it also was a picture of the believer. And so we see where it has six branches that come out of its side. It's interesting to note that he is the vine, we are the branches. Just as Eve was brought forth out of the side of Adam, we see where us as a believer are brought forth out of the wounded side of our Messiah. I'm just throwing some things out for you. I know you see these things. Three bowls made like an almonds with not flour in one branch. Three bowls made like almonds in the other. So we see that the menorah, this seven-lighted candlestick, is made with its branches representing an almond tree. And I've mentioned this to you before. The almond tree is the first tree that blossoms or buds after winter. It is seen as the tree of resurrection. And of course, immediately you recognize the fact that Aaron's rod budded, and it was an almond uh, rod, okay? And so certain trees mean certain things in the land of Israel. When Zacchaeus climbed the sycamine tree, that is a tree of repentance. That's when Yeshua said this day, I must come to your house. Remember, he was, when he climbed that tree, he was in the city of Palms. However, a palm, a date palm, is the tree of the temple, and it would have been seen as a Zadokim, a righteous man. But it wasn't until Zacchaeus climbed the tree of repentance that Yeshua, Jesus, says, Today I must come to your house. So we see in verse 34, as we look at the description of this candlestick, that in the candlestick, four bowls made like into almonds. And you can read all this and uh, uh, verse 36, And their knobs and their branches will be the same. It shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And uh, very few things are made out of pure gold. This is an absolute picture of the deity of Christ. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and of a pure gold shall he make it, of one talent with all these vessels, and look that thou make them after the pattern which I showed thee in the mount. Now, if you will add up all of these items that this candlestick made out of one beaten work of gold is comprised of as the uh, worker uh, of uh, gold hammers and forges this thing out of one piece, uh, is going to be a very interesting picture emerge. How do we know, uh, because no snapshots have survived for 3,500 years, how do we know exactly what this menorah, this seven lamp candlestick looks like? Well, I snapped this picture whenever we were in Rome, Bernardo, uh, last time we were there, and this is uh, the Arch of Titus behind me. If you remember, Titus in 70 AD raised the temple and there they took all the items and the gold and they went back and they completed the Colosseum in Rome. Then this arch is built by one of Titus's uh, relatives. Surely who was it? His brother or brother-in-law that built it? I can't remember. And what we see is that there is actually a, uh, a sculpting into this uh, Titus's arch there in Rome, right next to the Colosseum, if you go. And this is where they understand with this and the descriptive terms given by Josephus 
in the Talmud, in the scripture, uh, where we understand what this menorah looks like. So as you're looking at this very, very ancient Arch of Titus built somewhere around before 100 uh, AD, uh, you will see when I'm about to show you a snapshot I took of the actual one that they now are ready to place in the third temple, it's going to look real similar. And I also want you to notice that it's about the height of a man because it is representative of the Messiah, God come in flesh. Uh, actually, we're looking at this snapshot is actually the Moax mold that's made for the third, third temple menorah. And as we're looking through it, this is setting uh, outside the hotel there in Jerusalem. And as you look down over this, you'd be looking at the western wall, which is called the Wall of Rejoicing, which we used to call uh, the Wailing Wall. And it is behind this bulletproof glass, so to speak, or this very thick one-inch glass. And uh, if you'd like to donate money towards uh, the gold to uh, when they cast this, this is the casting, the original casting that will be, uh, that will go into the third temple that will be rebuilt, and I believe soon. Uh, also, before we get any deeper into the scripture, I want us to also notice that in Zechariah chapter 4, and this is a very deep mystery and I have my opinion on it, and I will teach on this as we get towards the end of the menorah, but in Zechariah chapter 4, uh, God then answered I, verse 11, and I said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And so what we see is the prophet, God gives him a vision of heavenly things and he is giving him a vision of this seven-lamp candlestick, this candlestick that went in the tabernacle and later in the temple. However, uh, what we see is, is that there are two olive trees, and these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the earth. And uh, it's interesting all the theories that come up with whom these two anointed ones are, and we'll delve into that later. What we're looking at right now is called the shield. It is the official seal or coat of arms of the nation of Israel. And uh, in Hebrew, across the bottom is the word Israel. You read Hebrew from right to left. Just a real quick lesson in Hebrew. The language has many ways to speak, but you will notice that the first letter of Israel is the smallest letter of the Hebrew language, and you will notice that the last letter of Israel is much larger. They being taken as a nation, not because they were the mightiest, they were the smallest and the least, but they will become the greatest. And what we see then is we see that, uh, interesting as it may be, I don't imagine Israel understands it either, because what we see is that on each side of their shield are uh, olive branches coming out, these two olive trees. They get this from Zechariah chapter 411 that I just read. And so we have the 12 leaves on the left, or the six sets of two leaves, olive leaves, and the, and the 12 olives on each side. So we have 24. And so we'll get into that at a later time. Uh, obviously, they could see the 12 tribes, but who do the other 12 leaves represent? on the other side of the menorah is my question. Uh, the menorah <clears throat> represents the word of God. It has, and of course, Yeshua Jesus, who was the visible incarnate word of God. He dwelt, uh, God could make nothing without him. That's why everything created was created by him and for him, because in that uh, main computer housing or Shekinah glory of the invisible God, that portion of the brain, so to speak, of speaking is the creative portion. And this is why when God said, then there was. And therefore, without this portion, uh, he says, I dwelt with him in the beginning before the foundation of the world ever was, Hakamah wisdom. And so we see where now that God uh, materializes his thoughts and the word becomes flesh. And so what we see that this 12, this seven lamp menorah is going to represent 
is it's going to represent the Word of God. Now, I don't know, Sunday morning, I told my wife, I said, I've got something I think will blow everybody away, and uh, might, it might not. But when we look at uh, the uh, miracle of uh, equal letter distance spacing and also the gematria, the numerical language that the Word of God's written in, uh, it works on 66 books of the Bible. However, when you try it with the book of Maccabees or any of these other books that you hear people say these were written at the same time in the Bible, they do not pass the litmus paper test when you scientifically analyze them through mathematical formulation as you can the 66 books of the Bible. How do we know that the 66 books of the Bible as we see them today are complete? Well, this may be a coincidence and I may be getting ready to show you a lot of coincidences or maybe it's God hiding things that we're supposed to unveil. So what we see is, as we take the three groups of the bowls, the knops, and the flowers on one side of the menorah, and you take the three times three in the limbs, and so on and so forth, you come up with 27 parts. And then the center shaft has four groups of bowls, knops, and flowers, which match 12 pieces to the menorah. And those 12 plus 27 equal 39, which there are 39 books in the Old Testament. Now when we go to the remaining other side of the lampstand, remaining branches, the bowls and the knops and the flowers add up to 27, which stand, in my opinion, for the 27 books of the New Testament. When you put all these pieces together, you come up with the 66 parts of the candlestick, which, remember, is the light of the world. And, of course, I'm not even getting to the oil, but it is so that we have the light to see. His lamp, his light is a lamp to our feet. And so uh, this will give you an amazing uh, blueprint of what God was going to do through his word. We also see where the menorah is a picture of Christ. And I'm speaking once again of the seven-lamp candlestick beaten work out of one talent of pure gold, the height of a man, with the 66 parts representing the completed word of God. In Revelations chapter 1, uh, where we are headed from this portion of the lesson in, in tonight's teaching is we are going to see how uh, hidden within our word God has, uh, even in creation uh, and in the opening structure, which I will not share until the next lesson, of the uh, utterances, the divine utterances uh, of God in the creation, we see how he has aligned this thing that has an interesting design, and it is designed as the light, as this seven-lamped candlestick made after a, things, a pattern and type of the foundation of things of heaven. In Revelation chapter 1, we get to the end of the book, and we see where in the 66th book, John the Revelator is banished there to the Isle of Patmos, and in Revelation 1 verse 12, he hears this voice, and he turned to see the voice that spoke with him, and he turned, saw seven golden candlesticks. Now we know what he's seeing, we know what he's looking at. And in the midst of these seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, uh, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. So here we have our great high priest. He is a high priest, great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And here now he has on uh, the outfit of a priest and he is standing in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. Now what's interesting is, uh, uh, see in the Talmud, Yoma, I think it's 24 and 3, uh, it tells us that the servant candle is seen as the central candle whenever you hold seven fingers up, uh, you have the center candle, which would be in the number four position, and that servant candle is the one from which all other candles were lit to keep the seven lights lit. And of course, we'll get into the miracle of Hanukkah later concerning this fourth servant candle position. 
So it's not by accident that when Yeshua allows John to see him, he's standing in the middle. In other words, he is the servant candle. He's the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world because all the other candles had to be lit from this candle. Uh, as I was mentioning, Yoma tells us in the Talmud that the last 40 years of the standing of the temple, that this light, this is in the Jewish writings themselves, this servant candle would not remain lit. And of course, for those of you that follow what I'm saying is, the temple was destroyed 40 years after Christ left the earth. And for that 40 years, the servant candle, it is written in the Jewish history, would not stay lit, along with many other things that went on. So here we go to Revelations 2, verse 1. Now, and to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, uh, the seven angel, the angels that the Bible talks about to the churches are just simply the pastors of the churches that are the under shepherds under Yeshua Jesus. But the important portion that I want to point out in Revelations 2 and 1 here is that you see Jesus says, I hold the seven stars, but I'm in the middle of them. And so it is from this light that his churches are to be lit from. We are to stay in the pattern. We are to stay in the flow of his oil, of course, which is a representation, in my opinion, this particular oil, not the anointing, is of the Holy Spirit. And so the servant candle, which is the center lamp of the menorah, I want us to look at this, and we see now that Jesus, when he speaks to them, another name for it was the light of the world. Uh, in John 8 and 12, Jesus said unto them, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, this is exactly, remember Yochanan, John, uh, who wrote the Gospel of John, he is in the lineage of the Koinium, the priesthood. And therefore, when he writes, that's my favorite Gospel, uh, when he writes, he writes in the language of priesthood, because he has a great understanding of this. So, Whenever he writes the recorded words of Jesus says, he is the one that writes the priestly sayings, so to speak. In John 1, uh, he writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John 1, verses 9 and 10, speaking of Yeshua, Jesus, that was the true light that lit every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And so the point I'm trying to get to is he understood in the temple that the servant candle, there was no light, no other light could be lit. In other words, the creator of our souls, no other light could be lit. Only men could come into the world through God illuminating them. And then, of course, John chapter 9, verse 5, interesting. Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, this menorah that we're studying, this seven-lamp candelabra that sits in the holy place on the southern wall, the servant candle faces uh, to the north. Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. It's also a picture of the believer and then Christ in his church, which we believers collectively uh, constitute the church. He says, you are the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, in Revelations 1, verse 12 and 15, I've mentioned it before. 
Jesus says, and John says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw the seven golden st candlesticks, and in the middle of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. So we see where, just as Without the light, there was no ministry that could take place in the church of God, the tabernacle being the first church of God. They would have stumbled in darkness, the blind leading the blind, that we see the necessity of keeping Christ and his oil, the illumination in the middle of the believer, in the middle of his church. We're going to take a little different turn right now in this lesson uh, and share with you a couple of pretty amazing coincidences. Uh, in Revelations chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, and he had in his right hand seven stars. So we see where, even though uh, there is a reason that Israel has chosen the menorah as their shield, as their seal, as their coat of arms. Uh, the importance of this light, of this lamp, uh, uh, it is our connection with God. Without the light, we, we, God is light. No man can approach, okay? So, but what we're seeing is, is we see where God gives us this plan for the light at the very time that he rescues men out of bondage. But we see where we're headed to that city of light and where we needeth no sun. Why? Because the servant candles the light. And so I won't be able to get all these examples too many to give, so just think. Uh, so we see in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelations, we see how... Uh, that this menorah takes uh, uh, preeminence again. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus. And his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead, and he laid his right hand upon me and said, Fear not, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm he that lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which you have seen, and these things which are, and the things which shall be thereafter. And the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden, golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which they saw are the seven churches. So as I aforementioned, that our goal as a church is to keep the oil, our, our job is to make sure we keep the servant candle lit. This is the miracle of Hanukkah. If you remember the servant, another miracle that took place except for the last 40 years when the temple stood is even though each of these bowls on top of the, each branch of the seven branches held the same amount of oil, uh, and it wasn't a great amount, it was just to last one day, the servant candle always seemed to burn brighter and longer on the same amount of oil. And of course Hanukkah that we'll be teaching on as we move into it here very quickly, uh, we will see that uh, the miracle is that it lasted for eight days. All right, so menorah is patterned after the heavenlies. Hebrews 9 and 2. For there was a tabernacle made, the first one was the candlestick, the table and the shoe bread, which is a sanctuary. So we see this plan of the tabernacle with uh, 45 to 46 chapters in consecutive order in Exodus and scattered throughout the whole Bible that it is a blueprint that we can understand whether we have correct interpretation of what we are learning or not. Uh, in Revelations 4 and 5, and out of the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. 
And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. So here's the, here's the seven lamp menorah. And these are the seven spirits of God. We'll get into that later. Matthew chapter 25, verses 6 through 7. Remember what he tells us uh, as a believer. He gives unto us Matthew 24 when he gives us the signs of the coming of the Son of Man and the end of this age. And then Matthew 25, as he is finishing his discourse, he begins now to speak of virgins. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold the bridegroom, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. So we are seen as having been illuminated by the servant candle. We are seen as uh, procuring the oil of heaven, which is the fuel of the Holy Spirit. And we see where our job is to, as I read you, the priest's job, to tend to the lamp each day and not let the lamp air go out, as Samuel did, or excuse me, as uh, Eli did. Uh, I've got a picture here, and uh, here we're going to go a little deeper than we have. We look at this servant candle position, and I have the numbers one through seven written there. Just imagine that under each one of those numbers is a golden branch that turns into the number four main shaft and comes out of the sides out of it. And of course, number four is the servant candle position. We see where uh, next week I will share with you the seven words. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And in Hebrew, that's seven words. And we will see an amazing thing that you may not have seen if you haven't been here before. Uh, but we see where in Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 and 19, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. Now what's interesting is, in verse 19, in the evening and the morning were the fourth day. He does not bring forth the light until the fourth day. The fourth day is the servant candle position. So in other words, why after he creates the heavens and the earth does he not allow the light to come forth into the fourth day? Because it is indicative, it is a typology of what he's going to do then and in the future. It's also speaking to us about why is it that is a thousand days is he, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day with the Lord. Yeshua Jesus did not come forth, the light of the world, until the fourth day. How many days are we going to be here? Seven days, because what we are about to see happen to us is we are now going to begin to uh, see some really neat hidden coincidences and how our Bible is written in the... Uh, in, in a hidden menorah, so to speak, certain portions of it. You're looking at, right now, a picture of our uh, solar system. You will notice that Jupiter, and those of you that study uh, Greek and Roman mythology, you know that Jupiter was called the king of the gods. It's interesting when you take Earth out of that, because as you stood on Earth, you can see these seven planets at one time or another, because we now know that just in recent years, that there are only seven planets in our solar system. This is why whenever they found the Tower of Babel, it only had seven foundations. And each foundation was made out of a different colored fired brick to represent the different illumination of these seven planets that they saw. Now, of course, the Earth was not, you can't look at the Earth as you look into the heavens because you're on it. So isn't it interesting that this picture I put here, I have the planets in order, when you take Earth out of it, Jupiter, which is the very largest, and by the way, how many know what the brightest light in our sky is at night? Venus. Exactly right. The three brightest objects in our sky at night, when the moon is full, moon, Jupiter, and Venus, and not in that order. 
And so we see where Venus and Jupiter are competitive and Venus is somewhat brighter. Jupiter, however, is much larger. And so it's interesting that when we see God gives us this menorah, that is it an accident and a coincidence that he who created our universe. You know, Sagan says that there's probably billions and billions of uh, uh, universes, but he that created our solar system, I should say, uh, it's created with uh, this design that aligns with the opening statement that we'll see uh, next time we teach this lesson on the menorah. So we see where uh, the menorah represents the Word of God. Uh, I want us to look at this story in the Bible. Uh, we are going to find out that the father of our faith, I chose this one because without uh, the faithful father Abraham, you and I wouldn't be here tonight. We're justified by faith. But God, it's not by accident that he appears to Abraham seven times. And without walking through all seven appearances of God. Now, what, what are we actually gleaning from this tonight? Well, what this does for me is it proves the reality of God. There is no way when you see what we're about to see that any men over thousands of years that didn't know each other could have put this plan together. This took the mind of God. And for us to understand that he loved us so much. See, this isn't to show God, show us how smart God is. This is so ultimately we can understand he did all this to let us see how much he cares. So if you're fighting that God doesn't care for you, he didn't hide all this in here because he doesn't care. He took a lot of time making this universe and putting it all together so you could understand how much he wants you to be there. So let's look at it. So we have seven appearances of God. Now once again we're going to go to the servant candle appearance which is going to be the fourth appearance. Let's see if this is a coincidence. So the fourth, the servant candle appearance out of the seven appearances of menorah so to speak where he appears to Avraham is in Genesis chapter 15 and watch what happens. And when the sun is going down, the light, natural light, a deep sleep falls on Abraham, and lo, a horror of great darkness falls upon him. And it came to pass that when the sun was went down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces. This is where God is entering into covenant with Abraham, and Abraham with God. And God puts Abraham in a deep sleep, and a burning lamp, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God, the lamp, the servant candle, comes down and passes through the pieces, the Lapid, another name for the Mashiach. And so what we see is, is we see, is it by a coincidence that God appears seven times, but the fourth time he appears, it's as the burning lamp. Seeing some pretty interesting coincidences. You won't find that in, you won't find that in the Koran or the Book of Mormon. Uh, these coincidences just become more amazing as we go. The seven last statements of Christ while he hung on the cross. Once again, we're looking at why were there seven last statements? Why were there seven words in the opening statement? Why are there seven planets? Why are there seven tri vials of judgment? Why are there seven trumpets of judgment? Now, let's just keep going. So what we see is, is this servant candle would be the fourth position. And I've already said in uh, Yoma, in the Talmud, Yoma 43 and 3 tells us that the servant candle would not stay lit after, for the last 40 years the temple stood. And of course, Jesus... Uh, was crucified, uh, his light went out, say it like that, the servant candle went out 40 years before the temple was destroyed. In Matthew 27 verse 46, without exploring the three prior statements of the seven statements that Christ makes while he's on the cross, that'll give you something to look up and enjoy your reading time. 
this is the servant candle statement that he makes, the fourth statement while on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cries with a loud voice, says, Eli, Eli, la la sabachthani. That is to say, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And ere the lamp of God goes out. He extinguishes the light of the world. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3, and then we'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21. And you'll remember in the Old Testament what happened. Uh, the priests were supposed to tend to the lamp every day. And, of course, we know that uh, 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 Eli uh, was a priest that had fallen into not caring. His family was not doing the correct things. And there the lamp of God went out in the temple. We know what that's talking about now, the servant candle, which had to stay lit for them to light all the others with, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. And so then what happens? The ark of God's taken, the presence of God, as soon as the light goes out, See, that which has been shall be. So when the light goes out in the temple, the ark's taken, and now this lady names her son, what? Ichabod, which means the glory of God has departed. There's no anointing oil. There's no illumination. Uh, it's interesting that, and this is probably another coincidence, that whenever we look at when the menorah is lit, that we have the book Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Numbers being the fourth book, I wonder if it's a coincidence, being the servant candle position, the fourth position, that he does not have them light the candle until we get to the fourth book. He says, Speak unto Aaron, Numbers 8, verses 2 and 3, and say unto them, When you light the lamp, the seven lamps shall give their light over against the candlestick. And Aaron did so. So he lit the lamps thereof over against the candlestick as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, when we look at the book of Revelations, and we are going to once again look at this design of a menorah. Uh, we're going to look at this servant candle position. We're going to have the all throughout Revelations, the number 7 appears. Revelations 8, verse 12. And the fourth angel, the what angel? The fourth angel. The ser how many angels are going to sound? Seven. So the servant candle position. And the fourth angel sounded, and what does he do? And the third part of the sun is smitten and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, and the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for the third part of it, and the night likewise. So it's a coincidence again that this Jesus comes forth on the fourth day. He's the light of the world. When he is extinguished and the Father forsakes him, and he descends into the pit, and now we see that in the book of Revelations, whenever the seven trumpets of judgment are blown, that that fourth servant candle position is to take the light of the world again or to begin to uh, take the illumination out of the world. Let's go on. And also we see in the book of Revelations, now let's look at the seven vials of wrath. All we're looking at is if these are not coincidences, and if they are, they're amazing, but if they're not coincidences, how in the world would anyone, uh, I mean, just think of all the, th I'm just sharing a few things we found. You'd be amazed what you can find in the Word of God. And this is, if you learn Hebrew and you start digging through the Torah code, you'll find out the first city in America that gets nuked. I mean, you can find out all kinds of things. It's in the book. Just how deep do you want to go? How far do you want to dig? So in Revelation chapter 16, verse 8, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. So where does the fourth vial get poured out on? On the light. 
Revelations 1 and 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, it's interesting, I've given the names of the seven churches here, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Let's look at this servant candle position on the fourth church and look at what God speaks to them about uh, their judgment. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works, or I will come unto thee quickly and remove your candlestick. This is what he warns the church he'll do. Why? He's in the middle of the church. Just because you don't, you can have church without having the power of God in it. You can have church without having the presence of the Lord. Can I tell you, you can have church in America without having the Word of God in it. But what he's saying is, and this is exactly what happened in Jerusalem. They sewed the veil up and they went on and had church. But uh, what he's saying is, he's saying, look, if y'all don't do right, the, the, serv- the, the illumination leaves. The anointing oil goes. There, there is, your, your, your lamps can no longer be trimmed. You're no longer virgins. You've got on a uniform. Uh, but he tells this servant candle position, the church of Thyatira, he says, if you'll hang in there, he says, I will give him another name for the servant candle, the morning star, the first light seen in the morning. And so are these uh, coincidences or are these by design? Uh, As we look at the golden lampstead, and I will close out with this, we recognize it is the word of God as a light for the believer. It's to guide us through the workings of God, just as it did in the holy place, uh, through life. It protects us from darkness and evil. Psalms 119, verse uh, 105, longest uh, chapter in the Bible, Psalms 119. It's an acrostic, the 22 Hebrew letters. Uh, We see that the Bible says Jesus is God's word in human form, John 1, and John 1 and 1, and John 1 and 14. We see that Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world pointing once again to the typology of the tabernacle. Those that follow him will never walk in darkness. We see where uh, the light of Christ lives inside of us as believers. Remember when he told us, Know ye not, you are the light of the world, that we are to show people the way, the truth, and the life, so to speak. And uh, the followers of Jesus, we are called to be a light in a dark place. And remember what he says? He says, Let the, let the blind... Uh, lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. Without light, we're, we're blind. We've got to have light to see. So I hope something said in this lesson, uh, my, my goal is to allow us to understand the mind of God that has put this thing together, that we can receive what it is that he's hidden for us in this tabernacle plan. And we will find out that each article of furnishings as he started with his throne and he worked his way out is to reveal to us more and more about God. Now that, I'll close with this. I think I mentioned this. Uh, The Bible in Hebrew uh, when it says uh, and Adam knew Eve, what is interesting as we as believers and we do a lot of good works and we come to church and we give to missions and we give to this and we give to that and that is so awesome but there is a step that goes beyond that that God wants us to do and that is to intimately know him and I'm not trying to be crude or lewd but just stay with me so I'm bringing to you that the Bible declares in Hebrew that Adam knew Eve and so and so knew so and so and a child comes forth 
the human species is the only species on earth that is designed that we face each other when we procreate. And therefore, it is to know each other face to face. We've really got to know each other, so to speak. And so, what we're seeing then is, is we're seeing in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. K-N-E-W. In other words, we never had intimacy. And I'm not talking. So, what God is wanting us to do, and what he's proving to us through his word is he has hidden all of these awesome things the world would call coincidence, but I believe they're totally by design. And our God hid them. It's the joy and the matter of kings to search them out. And if we'll take time to do that, maybe rather than a lot of other things we do, uh, this is how we get to know God. Prayer is a great tool that we must have. It's the sword of the spirit. But that sword is comprised of two parts. It's spirit and word. And trying to approach God without intimacy, with just the word, is out of balance, just like trying to approach him with just emotions and having no word. And so uh, this is what we are coming to the word of God to do, is to get to know him in a greater capacity. And this is how we grow in faith. But more importantly, you are a product. You are a product, wherever you are hearing this right now, you are a product of everything that you have allowed to flow through your mind. It's all been emulsified while you sleep at night, who God designed it to where you're supposed to sleep. Then everything's categorized. He mulls through there. Time stands still. If you're supposed to wear a red shirt tomorrow and you're close to God, you'll wear a red shirt. And he works all these things out in our dream life, so to speak, while we sleep. But if you are not putting enough of the things of God in there, when trials, tribulations, situations come, you can miss some awesome opportunities of victory, uh, uh, of being used to the Lord. So the more that you fall in love with his word, I'm just big on this. I'm a word teacher. I know what it's done in my life. It will separate you from everything in the world. You will be in the world, but you won't be of the world because you won't think like the world. And whenever you really... Uh, enter into holiness of the Lord. Holiness, as we've learned, is separation. The greatest way to separate yourself is to meditate in the things of God. So I cannot say enough, and obviously you guys are so interested in hearing and learning as you faithfully come to these classes, uh, this will change your life for the better. And I remember 30 years ago that I, I just, back whenever CDs, I think they were called, or cassette tapes, uh, the next thing after 8-track, I'd just stick them in my cassette player and I'd just listen to the Bible while I was driving, while I was doing whatever, when I was laying down to sleep, when I'd get up in the morning. I just bombarded my mind with the Word of God. Why? Because I had so many filthy images and I had so much wrong thinking in my heart, in my mind, in my soul. And all I can tell you is that the Word of God changed me. The Holy Spirit immersion was an instantaneous thing. But without the oil, without the fuel of the word, I, you can go back to carnality and think like you always thought. So that's just a little uh, advertisement for the word. And that concludes lesson four on the tabernacle. Hope something said will help.